This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 26th of March 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my fully secure co-host, Jon. Oh, hang on. Can you repeat that? My deep packet inspection needs to go over that again. <laughs> How are you? Uh, fully secured, apparently. <laughs> Excellent. Chastity belt fully intact. Okay. Now, I know you're a Brit, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Dear audience, we do try. <laughs> so, uh, we have uh, an interview today with Saad Ayed from Digital Fortress, um, who's come to talk about... Apache Metron and cybersecurity and all things interesting and exciting. So, uh, unless you have anything else you'd like to uh, add? No, I just want to say that it's great to hear somebody who's been working in this uh, system, in this ecosystem, for a while now, talking about what he's doing, what he's seen. And uh, it was a very interesting, enlightening uh, talk, I'd say. Uh, I didn't say much because, uh, as everybody knows, when Dave starts talking about Apache Metron, I have to shut up and be quiet. And uh, that worked out beautifully. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You've got to have a little snooze there. So, uh, yeah, without any further ado, let's uh, let's switch over to, to Saad. Enjoy. Hi, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on wherever you are in the world. Uh, today we're joined by Saad Ayed from Digital Fortress. Welcome, Saad. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. So... Um, we first met, of course, when you were uh, at uh, DataWorks Summit in Melbourne all those uh, those years ago, back when you were, I think, at Telstra. But yes, uh, I was you at Telstra at the time. Yeah, and uh, you've, uh, you've you're now at uh, Digital Fortress. So, for those that that haven't met you or don't know you, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them a little bit about you. What's your background? What do you do? Yeah, thanks for that. So my background's been pretty fortunate to have a diverse background in technology. You know, I've worked across applications, IT systems, narrowband, broadband, media, networks, data centers, and then did a bit of a stint building network operations centers around the world and mm -hmm. finally stumbled into cybersecurity um, a little bit by accident uh, yep. because of some breaches and some criminals and then from there ended up managing corporate security teams managed security services government and then a couple of years back decided to try and start my own cybersecurity consulting and solutions company very nice so with all of that sort of different background you've you've obviously seen things from a variety of different angles and now sort of with cybersecurity being your focus i think the answer is fairly obvious but perhaps for those that that uh, are wondering why is why is cybersecurity so important to organizations that's a very good question so the key thing i guess if i look at one of the things we've been doing at digital fortress is our goal in cybersecurity is to help organizations solve their security problems and set them up on a successful journey so that they can build and deliver and execute on cyber programs, which are often very complex. Mm -hmm. So if we look at cybersecurity, why is it important? So let's say 
physical security. Say you paid me to build a house, and then when I gave you this house, there was no locks on the doors, no windows, no lighting at night, no alarm and no cameras. Would you move in? Uh, um, probably most- not. <laughs> yeah. So the reason you probably wouldn't move in is you'd say, well, I've got a family and I worry about their safety and my personal safety and you need to fix it before I move in. Yep. When we look at cybersecurity, it's the same thing. We time and time again see applications that have weak authentication, no encryption, no network security, no monitoring, and unfortunately it's happening every day. And more often it's not until a business and people's lives are significantly impacted that organizations take action. So information security is important because it's about protecting people from criminals and malicious actors who are really after our data. And the paramount thing of importance is keeping our information safe keeps our people safe. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, the, one of the sort of old tropes is that, that cybersecurity is preventing against, you know, hackers in their bedrooms or basement or parents' basements or whatever. Um, that's quite a, a, an old, outdated view now, isn't it? That's, that's not really what uh, the majority of cybersecurity is really focused on. No. So, you know, hackers, criminals, people who can run scripts, you know, a lot of this stuff's in GitHub. It's this prepackaged virtual machines that can launch a lot of this stuff. Um, realistically, anyone from an IT graduate to a grandma these days can become a commodity hacker, but it's about how do we defend ourselves against targeted attacks where people are actually targeting us to cause harm or targeting us to take information that is valuable to them and also valuable to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely become big business. So with uh, obviously we're, we're talking about cybersecurity from a, a, a big data sort of focus. I mean, is why why is cybersecurity and big data a good fit, or or are they not a good fit? Are we are we completely barking up the wrong tree here? This is a topic I've actually talked at many DataWorks summits and with quite a few clients about. It's the constant problem statement that I see every day of yep. more data means more context and more visibility in cyber, and having context and visibility allows us to understand what's happening in our environment to look for malicious and suspicious activity and to act accordingly to what the business wants us to do. However, that's easier said than done. In reality, the analysts sitting in front of the screens face an enormous amount of sensors, diverse log formats, different content, enormous amounts of log volumes, and it's all expensive and time-consuming to ingest, analyse and store. So where big data comes in is to help us with our inability to manage vast amounts of telemetry so that we can get that context so that we can have confidence to detect a targeted event and not be drowning in the volume where we're not having enough time to you know, pick out that one event that could end our company. Yep. That coupled with the fact that there's no standardization, right? So in a traditional environment, cyber would be easy because, you know, device X, this firewall, 
has this format and all firewalls follow the same format. But, you know, we see every day that in the same organization, and I've seen it time and time again, we have a single device which has three different versions of software deployed throughout the organization yeah. with different log formats, you know, binary, XML, or syslog. So that actual one device becomes five or six different data sources. And this is the key thing where the cybersecurity problem that we face is essentially a data problem. And that data problem is centered around three pillars, getting visibility, being able to perform analysis and being able to respond. And yep. if I go into those in a little bit more detail, yeah, the analysis, sorry, the visibility is about our ability to handle, ingest, and normalize millions of events per second at scale. The analysis is about the ability to take all that and enrich it against other data and run it through triage and risk models so we can gain context, understand the risk, and the behavior. Now, the response component is where everyone's going crazy about machine learning and AI. Realistically, <laughs> it's just smart maths, right? We're yep. getting a machine to do some smart maths. Some clever people are telling it what to do, and it's automation. So we get the machine to be programmed by a smart human to do something that they would have done manually. It can operate at scale. The human can be used for higher value functions, and this creates a loop where our people get smarter, our machines get smarter, and we move into machine learning and AI. And from a technology perspective, what this means is we can achieve petabyte scale storage, retention, analysis. Once we have all the data centralized and consolidated and everyone's on that same page, that same dashboard, that same query engine, we can get collaborative on how we investigate. We eliminate redundant efforts in our in our socks. We can orchestrate across different out-of-the-box systems across our organization and really set ourselves up so that we can scale for volume and velocity and then automate triage, automate that risk-based approach, dynamic threat modeling, have really rich dashboards that help us visualize risk and present those threats to C-level executives, to non-technical people in the business yep. to drive that case for change. So realistically, big data approach in cyber allows us to be innovative, flexible, scalable, and meet the changing needs of detection and response. The only other thing that open source big data offers on top of that is yeah. that we can better develop together. There's no license tax. We share our components and criminals work together. They form gangs and organizations and pull their yeah, resources yeah. and share their, their little hacks. But how many big corporates also pull their money and then throw it into a community so that we're leveraging a bigger pool of money instead of throwing the same amounts of money at the same vendor to get the same piece of software across 10 companies? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you were when you were describing the, this, you mentioned the um, the idea of context a number of times. Why is context so important? Could you give some some examples of um, of how that makes a difference? Yeah, so context is easily defined as you know 
you've got all of these events that we discussed and they're all seemingly interrelated and a human's trying to join the dots. So, for example, the simplest point of view would be around if I've got an SQL server, it's exposed on the internet and someone launches an attack against it, against a vulnerability that the server isn't vulnerable to. By the same token, someone else launches a different attack on the same server, but with that attack, the server is vulnerable to that actual exploit. Mm -hmm. Both of those appear in the log as the same thing. So getting context of what software am I running, you know, what CVEs haven't been patched, allows us to look at risk now. I'm going to respond to one before the other. And if we take that in an organizational context, getting malware on an endpoint laptop that has yep. uh, payment card information access, it has personal information access, it could be the CEO or the CFO, is very different to malware infecting a laptop for, say, you know, an IT graduate that is cutting code and only has access to a certain number of repositories and email. So, yeah, you know, could be the same malware, the same version of laptop, but one could bury our organization and one just causes us a bit of issues. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so how has how has the sort of cybersecurity area evolved over the last few years? You mentioned sort of everybody going kind of crazy over AI and ML and, and that sort of things. But is it, what, what else is, is changing and evolving? So if I look back over last four or five years mm -hmm. in context, so there's one constant, it's always going to be evolving. And I'll touch on yep. why in a bit, but the days where rigorous security standards had to be in place and, you know, we had this gated waterfall process and you ticked all the boxes it aren't going to work anymore. So yeah. we're now in getting being rapid, DevOps, Agile, whoever gets the product out first wins um, and gets to keep trading. So what we've seen around that is the growth in more focus on influence and education in cyber. So getting security baked into the development phase, whether you call it static code analysis, sec DevOps, and also educating people that they need to think about putting security in at the start rather than as an afterthought. Um, that's one key development that's matured over the past few years. The other one is around, um, we went through a phase where every CISO had squillions of dollars and they were spending it on shiny boxes and these shiny boxes promise to do the impossible. And you look at the, the dashboard and it looks like a really cool computer game rather than an IT system. So <laughs> by its very nature, cybersecurity is different in that the key standout is it's adversarial. It's a yep. real person on the other end, whether they're sitting in their basement or whether they're sitting in, you know, um, a, a network operations center full of hackers, for example. Yeah. Um, the person on the other end is playing cat and mouse. So you put a box in, um, the next day they've found some vulnerabilities or they've found how that box works and how to bypass it. You develop secure code, you patch your environment, the next day there's new vulnerabilities out, out there. So the shift in focus has been and is still 
moving towards in my mind around less as a technology way to win, but more as having good technology as a baseline and a necessity and investing in getting the right security standards, the right audit, education, and focusing on running programs that improve our maturity. So using tools not to conquer all the cybersecurity problems, but using tools and technology and people so that every day we're just aiming for better security. Excellent. So, I mean, with all of this, do we actually have a chance to really beat the bad guys or is it are we really just still looking at damage mitigation or limitation i mean is is there really a chance that we can you know keep an organization safe with uh, everything that's going on well there's three aspects to that answer um the first one that i always use is that old adage of the two guys in the line um you actually don't have to win the race. You just have to run faster than your competitors. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> you know, um, cybersecurity is the same. You know, these guys are trying to steal data. So if you walk into a place and you find that they've got a lot, they've invested in security, they're doing smart things, they've got all the right behaviours around keeping their code secure, keeping their services secure, you're going to go look for an easier target. Now, there's yep. always the targeted attacks, but, you know, they're going to be very hard to defend against because a motivated yep. attacker will, will find a way, right? But yep. the 90, 95% of the stuff that's out there is opportunistic. So it, that's why I use the term of we just need to get better and better. And really the, the second aspect to that, oh, sorry, the third aspect to that is around r running that right program. So, you know, when, when you take a standards-based approach, that allows you to develop a plan. Implementing that plan means you get the right tools at the right time with the right implementation order. And the trick is just to keep making it harder to share information, to pull our resources. You know, community software and, um, you know, what the Apache Foundation does and what Cloudera are doing is definitely the right way to go because if we all pitch in incremental improvements, we're, we're going to make a headway. Brilliant. And on top of that, it's it's not always about winning, right? You also need yep. to plan for when something bad happens and be ready for what to do. Definitely. And if I pull that back to a data sense and big yeah. data, it's, it's about knowing, you know, how important is all my data? Where have I got it? Is it access controlled properly? Um, are people using it for its intended purpose and keeping it stored where it's supposed to be stored and how it's supposed to be stored. So you, you've mentioned open source and collaboration uh, a number of times. One of the things that sort of people often ask is how, how can they give back or collaborate or work together with other organizations without risking their own sort of IP or their, their own sort of how, how can they make sure that they can collaborate safely? I think the answer to that's really simple. There's two sides of this story. The first side is we talked about getting data in, right? Yeah. That's a challenge in itself. Now, imagine 10 different organizations, chances are they have the same firewalls, the same servers predominantly. They're all duplicating effort. So 
parsers, um, ingestion pipelines, whatever people call them, those templates are the best avenue for where we can all commit code, share code. Mm-hmm. Even if someone puts a parser in that's pretty average, people will improve it. Um, yep. You know, it's, it's that thing of you don't have to get it right. You just have to get it right enough for someone to come in and tell you how to do it properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other component around detecting security issues, there's a lot of debate on this around, you know, well, if I hand out my algorithms, you know, hackers will get them and they'll know how to bypass my defenses. So if you break that up into three types of security detections, which is standards, standards Mm -hmm. are known bad. So, you know, you can't try and authenticate more than three times. Um, If I pick up things like a password spray, if I see someone who is trying to do a port scan, they're all hygiene issues. So that stuff, it should be easy to share because it's happening every day in millions of times for every organization. So, you know, this goes back to how do we make it harder for criminals? So if we're sharing that, that's the 80-20 rule. Then we get into the cool stuff around, um, you know, some of the more statistical profiling and, you know, behavioral analysis, if people want to call it that. But it's literally saying, in my organization, I know what normal is. I build a, you know, a baseline around that. And then I look for standard deviation outliers. So most of my people in my organization do the same thing or my firewalls all do the same thing, then I can infer that that's okay to do. And then I start looking at, you know, what are the things that are uncommon around the edges? These kind of statistical models are fairly generic. They're around profiling. Um, You know, they're using things like uh, looking at means, looking at standard deviations. It's not rocket science. And these are things that, we could share most of back into the community and help people mature that capability. Once you start getting into anomaly detection and now you're looking at deviations, things, first scenes, um, things that are unique to your organization, um, you know, advanced attacks, that's the stuff that is more sensitive. And I think getting more people together to talk about a lot of these things is going to help us work out what our protocols are and what we can share and can't share. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, I think you've touched on some of them, but what are, what are some of the other um, key themes within cybersecurity right now? And I, I guess one of the sort of additions to that is surely just machine learning and AI will save us all and, and we don't actually need to, to do any thinking for ourselves. Is that is that even vaguely true? I'm sure it's not. Uh, as long as the machine learning and AI is in the cloud, um, <laughs> that's the only way it's going to save us all. With, with blockchain, presumably. So, that's it. Um, <laughs> look, uh, I think, you know, I look back to early in my career around, you know, the 90s and everyone needed a smart firewall, you know, it was going to save your organisation and they were about half a million dollars a pop, right? Um, These days you can get one on your home router um, for a few hundred dollars. So throwing technology as a solution um, I don't think will save us. And machine learning and AI is just the next evolution in how we automate 
you know, uh, it's about using technology and smart tools to get machines to do the grunt work and have people do the high value work. And who knows what it'll be after machine learning and AI, it'll be, you know, virtual reality and quantum computing and all sorts of things. But I think today the key themes are, are around how do we make better use of advanced technology and, you know, looking at IoT, looking at industrial control systems. So, and I think the premise behind that of why we should look at technology, not as the solution, but as a driver, is that criminals are doing the same thing. You know, they're, they've got access to AI the same as we do. And I guarantee you they're out there looking at how do I use this to make my life easier. Yep. So you, you've mentioned open source and, and the Apache Foundation a number of times and I think possibly even uh, even Apache Metron once. Perhaps you could uh, tell us a bit more about Apache Metron and, and how it fits into this sort of ecosystem we've been talking about. Hmm. So I guess the thing that drew me to Apache Metron many years ago was that it, it's a framework. It, it's a framework that under the hood um, consists of a a bunch of technology that helps achieve each individual outcome from the things we covered earlier. Of how do I get data mm -hmm. in? How do I um, normalize it at scale? How do I enrich it? How do I actually turn all of these millions and millions of events per seconds into something that someone can look in a, a dashboard or a screen and do an outcome with? So Apache Metron has been a journey um, yep. on maturing our approach on how we actually achieve that going through. I won't dive into the actual underlying technology, but suffice it to say that, you know, the framework could be that um, Metron works with technology X under the hood today, doing its enrichment topologies. By the end of the year, it could be using technology Y doing its enrichment yep. topologies. But the thing that I think in Metron that will stay, that, that will endure is, that staged approach on how we actually take data and turn it into a business outcome and put it through that, that process. And th the reason why I recommend Metron generally is that it, it gives an organization a way to take that approach, to start at one end of the problem and work through the framework till they get to the other end. They don't have to dive straight into machine learning and AI. They just dive into a small platform that starts taking data in using Metron's capability and underlying platform, which is built, built actually to be a big data platform, and then turn that into a business outcome at the other end. In fact, I would, I would actually probably add to that that diving straight into the ML and AI approach is probably um, actually detrimental because if you can't, if you don't get the fundamentals right, we are talking about context earlier, then... You know, if you can't get all the context around your events right, then anything else you do further downstream of that is going to be fundamentally flawed. Totally agree. Okay, so with um, you've been following Metron for some time and using it in, um, in Angular in production for some time. What can you talk about some of the uh, you know some of the cases that you've used it and you know some of the interesting things that you found that the organisation or organisations were unaware of previously. Yes, yeah, so I've probably worked right now with about four different Metron deployments mm -hmm. and also provided advice on using Metron for 
two or three more organizations. And I think yep. I go back to our first deployment of Metron where it was three of us and we built it on this rickety old box mm. under one of the guy's desks. <laughs> and we had to go buy a couple more sticks of RAM so that we could get it to run. Yep. And th- the key thing was around that enrichment topology and building out the sensors. Um, so that ability to go get data in, convert it to a f- standardized format, and then put it through this iterative process where I turn that into a risk model through topologies. And that's exactly what an analyst does. An analyst sits there and goes, I've got this alert. It says it's critical. Um, who, What kind of device is it? So the threat model that we built that inspired us to go down the Metron journey was actually very simple. It looked at a user that had been infected mm-hmm. with malware. And then we built out a risk model where we said, cool, do they connect internal only or do they connect uh, via the VPN, which means they're on net, off net? Basically, Boolean value, zero, one. If you're a one, you get a higher risk. If you're a zero, you get a lower risk. Then looking at, we took hash values of their seniority in the organization and it didn't really matter. We started with the CEO. He got a one down to a 10. And you landed somewhere in there, which on the premise that you infer that if you're more senior, you've got more access and you're a better target. We then looked at things like, you know, technology profile, how many laptops, how many mobile phones do they have, um, and a few other things around years of service, tenure, contractor, permanent. So all of this was stuff that an analyst would sit there and look through spreadsheets and text documents and logs and about seven different corporate websites to pull all that information together. And they'd have to manually make an assessment. So what we found was the ability to correlate vast amounts of data, throw them out with a probabilistic score. And as we progressed, we found that the probabilistic score was less important. It was literally just bubbling the important things to the top. And that's pretty much, I guess, the core of what we started with. And then, you know, we've built deployments that do 50,000 EPS and more um, that consist of over 60 to 80 servers um, and stuff that's down on the, the, you know, the minimum end, 10 small servers running that end-to-end framework. Yeah, yeah. And we're back. So that was the first half of the interview with Sard from Digital Fortress. Um, there is so much good content that we decided to split this into two. So uh, join us again in, in two weeks' time for the second half of this interview. Yeah, big thank you to Sard for spending time with us uh, from, from the other side of the globe. So it was uh, a bit of a timing uh, difficulty, let's say, but uh, I think it all worked out. It definitely did, and yeah, definitely appreciate Saad taking time out of his evening mm-hmm. to uh, to talk to us. Unless anything else to add from you for today? Nothing else from me. Then that's all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data, say that cybersecurity, everything secure, everything safe. We will be back with uh, next week with a new episode, a news episode. The second part of this interview will be the week after that. 
Until then, please go to www.roaringoff.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the AtTheDoCast tag and contact us by email. Send your emails to podcast at roaringoff.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback you may have. Until that time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.